0: Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Breakfast today is sponsored by Joey Jerome in honor of the Kahal and wishing the entire Kahal Haslaha. <coughs> the pasuk tells us, "VaYishma and Reuven heard. "VaYasileu miAdam," Reuven heard, and he saved them from, and he just decided to save him from their hands. That's what. That's the the uh, the one brother, if you will, that's there on the on the day. Uh, of the of the selling, why, What are we going to hit him for? Why should we? Uh, why should we? Uh, Don't spill his blood. Put him in this pit. And really, what's his intentions? Right? In order to save him from their hands, to return him to uh, to his father. Now, what's always interesting for me to think about with regards to this is. Remember, they're fighting over the fact that the dream said that everyone, all the tribes are going to bow to Yosef, correct? Who suffers the most if Yosef is the leader? Reuven, why? Because Reuven is the oldest, he's the Bechor. So he's the one who's being leapfrogged. So how is it that Reuven is the one of all of the brothers? Anyway, all of them are going to be second, third, fourth brothers, whatever. So what difference does it make? You know where we find an example of this? Uh, in the story of Korach, On Ben Pelet comes back from the Korach rally, from the, uh, from the decision to impeach Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay? <laughs> comes back from the impeachment. Everyone's saying Moshe's got to go, and, uh, and On Ben Pelet comes fired up to his wife. And his wife says, dib. What do you you have in this fight? If Moshe wins, he's the leader, and who are you? You're the follower. If Korach wins, who's the leader? Korach is the leader, and you're the follower. Regardless, your position is exactly the same. What's the point of being involved in this fight? You only have to lose. So all the other brothers, in a sense, are like On Ben Peret. And who's the only one that really should be uh, in on this game? One would think that it would be Reuven. And yet, the Pasuk says, Vayishmar Reuven, And he saves them from their hands. So the question is, what is it that Reuven saw here that made him capable of being the one to stand up and save that person? I need you to hear this because I think that this is a very powerful powerful example. Now, I want to share with you first uh, uh, just an element, uh, uh, a story that I think kind of will help us shed some light on this concept. Rev Binyamin Zolti was, the, uh, uh, was a, a guy whose father-in-law lived in Florida. One day, a guy calls him over, frantically waving him down. He said, I need to tell you a story. And this the story he tells him. He says, the Hafez Hayim, he, uh, he was very finicky when it came to his books. He didn't want people to know who wrote that it was him that wrote them. He, you know, he was very, very careful in checking them for mistakes because they were writing them out, they were copying them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he had a book at the time called Sefer HaMitzvot, right? the, the Sefer mitzvot, which is a small hakatzar, which is a small book. And it was the Chafetz Chaim's attempt, you can get this book, by the way, today. It's fascinating. He lists only the mitzvot in the Torah that are relevant and achievable today. So he skips all the mitzvot in the Torah that are not, you person can't do them now. And he says, these are the obligations. It's 200 and some odd mitzvot. It makes the Torah much more uh, seem much more attainable because it only gives you the things that you need to focus on, at least for this point in time. So he was looking for someone to sponsor the book. And the shaliach, his messenger, came to Hafez Chaim and he said to him, you know, would you like me to go and find someone? Hafez Chaim said, I have a few conditions. Number one, he says, I don't want to have to chase after someone to find them, to, you know, to convince them to do the book. I want it to come from the person's own ratzon, number one. I want them to approach me instead of me having to approach them, number one. Number two, he says, my second condition is, I'm not doing this with the, you know, selling a bunch of people, pieces of this. This is not Indiegogo, right? You know, one person should sponsor the book. If there's one person to sponsor it, good. If not, not. Nah. And the last, he said. Was that it has to be an absolute condition that the person who's sponsoring the book should not require that his name is written on the book. The Chafetz Chaim himself didn't write his name. He felt the humility. The element should be that this is about disseminating Torah, not about uh, you know putting your name in lights. So he says, you know that these are my three conditions. The Shaliach Ber Din is thinking to himself, what are the odds of any of anyone? First of all running after the Chafetz Chaim for it, number two being the one who's going to take on the whole project, number three being the person who's willing to do it completely altruistically. Anyway, the Chafetz Chaim sends him, so he goes goes to America. He lands in America, and somehow he picks up this bug, or he gets very sick, or maybe it was dormant before, but he gets very, very sick, and the doctors that he goes to in New York City tell him That the only doctor in the country that knows how to deal with your disease is in Florida. So you need to go, you need to travel to Florida. Okay, what's he going to do? That's what they tell him. That's what he's got to do. He gets on a plane. They didn't have private back then, Sammy. They had big storks that flew when you hit it, you know, all right? So he gets gets on the stork, he gets on the plane, and he flies to Florida. As he lands, he's obviously someone who looks very religious. He's the right-hand man, let's say, of the of the Hafez Chaim. He's walking through the airport. This Jewish guy will, runs up to him, and he says, "Are you here? You here for Shabbat?" The guy says, "Yes." He goes, "You need kosher food?" He says, "Yes." He asks the man, "He says, what are you doing in the airport?" He says, "I pass by the airport all the time before Shabbat because there's a restaurant that's kosher over here, and that everyone says it's kosher in Florida, but it's not kosher at all." And I know that there's religious guests that come and I don't want them to make the mistake and eat non-kosher because the kashrut of this organization, it's a reform kosher, but they make it seem like it's kosher for ortho, by orthodox standards, and it's not. Had that goes to the airport all the time just to make sure that people don't eat this place which has questionable kashrut. Okay, he says, I will invite you for Shabbat. By the way, I was thinking to myself when I read this in the Sefer, this would be the best move If you were trying to get some guy to come eat non-kosher, you go and you tell him nobody else is kosher enough, you should come to me. And the guy's like, oh, he's so religious. Either way, point is, you can be totally undercover, (laughs) undercover non-kosher, you know, uh, uh, swindler. All right, fine. Invites a guy to his house, they're spending Shabbat together, and the guy says to him at Friday night table, you know, what are you doing here? How come you're here in Florida? He says, I'll tell you the truth. Um, my uh, my teacher, my you know, the gadol ador the hafetz chaim, he uh, he sent me here to America. What did he sent you to America for? He wrote this book. You know, he wants someone. He wants someone to appreciate the book and maybe, you know, take care of the responsibility of of publishing it for Am Yisrael. Um, uh, so he sent me here. Before he could open his mouth, the man says to him, this rich man from Florida says to him, he says, "I'll do it on two conditions." Condition number one is, he says, you don't take a cent from anybody else. You let me sponsor the whole thing. Condition number two, he says, complete anonymity. I don't want anyone to know that it was me that did the... Anyway, what? The guy is looking at this man. He can't believe that the guy has made the offer. Number two, that he wants the whole thing. Number three, that he wants to be anonymous. He can't believe it. So the, this man who's telling Rav Zalti the story, he says, I wanted you to know, because the rich man in the story... Was your father in law. He's the one who sponsored the book. And the Shaliach, the messenger of the Chafetz Chaim in the story, that was me. I was the one who came, and I just wanted you to know this about your father in law. Rav Zolti goes home, and he says, Dad, you know, how come you never told us the story about the Chafetz Chaim, about the book? You sponsored it with a guy, it wasn't well. The father in law goes, Majnoon. He goes crazy i just had someone who sent me something he said rabbi i've been listening to your classes all this time he says and i've prepared a handy uh note with translations for all the syrian words that you say now i'm prepared to listen to your shiurim because i know that hadjah means enough you know and he wrote all the so i released it on social media so that other people should say also... <laughs> majnun means someone goes crazy they go... so he goes majnun he said he says i don't forgive this guy the shaliach bedin i don't forgive him neither in this world nor in the next they were like whoa he said I gave many things to Siddhaka in my life but every time I gave the Siddhaka, I had this intention, I was in front of this one, I honored that one, to have that, you know the quid pro quo? I'm just on impeachment mode, right? <laughs> you know the quid pro quo where somebody invites you to the Dinner for Sephardic Food Fund, so then you then nail him for your favorite charity, Sephardic Bikur Gholim, and now he has to give, and he has to dig up to see how much he made you give, so that he has to match it. It wasn't one of those. I didn't have to give it, nobody knew about it. He said it was my one, Perfect miswah and he took it from me. I don't forgive him in this world or in the next. Could you imagine this? Anyway, the guy sends, uh, the guy comes, and he's uh, he comes. He, the man, the shaliach of the avetz hayim, comes to Florida, and he speaks to him until finally he calms him down, and he gets, and he gets his forgiveness. Uh, Rabbi, I thought to myself, what is it that the man said, the shaliach of the avetz hayim? What did he say to the man to make him calm down? What do you think? What could he tell a man like that that uh, that's so angry, so upset at him? There's a sequel coming. Sorry? There's a sequel. The Havetz Chaim's already dead. <laughs> no sequel. Yeah. <laughs> if he he did the short version of six thirteen, the long version already exists. You know what it's called? The Bible. Okay. So what else? What 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 else? What do you think he could could have said? And I think, I think I'm I'm imagining that he was saying to his uh, son-in-law, he said, it's true, he said to, the, to, the, to his father-in-law, I know you told me that you didn't want it to be printed in the book. What do you I know you, didn't want, you know you didn't want me to print we did, And we didn't put it in the book, and we didn't put your name on it. He said, but your own family, your own family should know the misrut that you do, and that's not considered publication, that's not considered publicizing it, because your own <laughs> family needs to learn from your actions, from your deeds. And I'm guessing that that's what he used to convince this man to forgive him. Now why do I tell you this story? Because forgiveness sometimes for something that goes wrong, or someone that upsets you or hurts you, can be a funny thing. Why is Reuven motivated to save him? Remember Rabotai, that for everybody else this dream was a disaster. For everybody else it means that they're going to be subservient to Yosef. But I ask you a question surely it's even worse for Reuven who's supposed to be the Bechor and the answer is magnificent that is true but we know that Reuven as the pasuk says Reuven enters the scene almost from nowhere and Rashi asks what do you mean where's uh, where's Reuven going he's in the middle of the story and Reuven, Reuven needs to leave where does he need to go where does he need to return and Rashi says he quotes the Gemara he went back. he went back to his fasting. He went back to his uh, to his teshubah. Why? Because of his sin with uh, Bilha. What was the sin? We already explained uh, in another class. That he, of course it doesn't mean what the pasuk says. He wasn't, you know, intimate with Bilha. And what's the proof that Reuven did not do a sin with Bilha? Because even though Reuven was chastised, we don't find anything happening to Bilha. If there was something inappropriate there there should have been some ramifications to Bilha which there wasn't okay if that's the case what was Reuven's mistake there's lots of different interpretations one opinion is that Reuven it was supposed to bed with Yaakov was supposed to be by Bilhah, and Reuven for the sake of his mother's honor moved the bed of Yaakov to Leah he was involving himself in his father's intimate life it's inappropriate it's not right you know it's overstepping the boundaries in a serious way, so Reuven's mistake, whatever it was, it was a mistake for such a big tzaddik. But for Reuven, he needed to do teshuva. For Reuven, in the blessings of Yaakov, but we find Pachas kamaim that he's chastised by his father by Yaakov. So Reuven is sitting, as we say, in taanit in the fast. He's sitting, uh, uh, you know, in remorse, in, in living a life of regret. That he's let down the family, that he's no longer one of the 12 Shabbatim. And then he hears a dream from Yosef, which he and they all know, deep, deep, deep down, is really a message from God. And he realizes that there's 11 stalks of wheat. And he realizes that there's 11 stars in the dream. What that means is that for Reuven, Yosef's dream was an indication that he was back in the game. That he was also, in Shamaim, still considered to be one of the 11 Shivatim. So for him, although it meant that he would have to be subservient, he was, he was thinking he was out. But the fact that in the dream he was still considered a star, he was still one of the Echad Aser for Reuven, that was tremendous. Now there's two ways that this could go. One way is that Reuven was so grateful for the fact that the dream, that this uh, comforting thing, this thought came to him through Yosef, that he felt that he couldn't do this to Yosef. That's one angle, the angle of gratitude. But there's another angle here, and I think this is really important. Listen to this. When do we know whether or not the dream indicated that Reuven was back in? Only when the dream is fulfilled. Call odd that the dream hasn't been fulfilled. How do we know whether or not it's a prophecy from God? So listen to this now. <laughs> right now, it sounds like Reuven is doing this in a, in a vacuum, but I want to read you the three word, the four words that appear before Reuven saves them. Let's, the brothers say, let's go, we got to kill him, we got to get rid of him. And let's say that a wild animal ate him up. Ready? Last four words. The four words after which Reuven decides to hear what they've said. And to save him. And we will see what will be with his dreams we will see what will be with his dreams Reuven hears that and deeply recognizes what do you mean you're going to see what's going to be with his dreams you mean that if he if he's murdered here the dream was not true that's the point here if that's the case Reuven says I thought there's an amazing lesson here not just for those of us who have a brother that we want to sell there's an amazing lesson here for us not just because we uh, donated a sefer on the terms of complete anonymity that then were revealed. But rather, <clears throat> that there's a, a possibility for human beings to be in a mob, to be part of what uh, psychologists call mob psychology, where everyone is yelling for A, and it's possible for someone to stand up against popular opinion and say B. Because he hears something else. He hears everything they said. But within what they said, there was something, there was one thing which maybe spoke a little bit differently to Re'uben. I remember reading uh, something that was, uh, you know, uh, really, really special. The, uh, <coughs> the, the, the fascinating thing about... Uh, about The, um, excuse me, The fascinating thing about people that are great, about the, the greatest of people, is that when someone is truly, well and truly great, they are able and capable of noticing people who are really, really, really small. The power of being great is in being able to notice the smallest things. And I shared this once before that it is small people who only focus on doing great things, and great people who recognize that everything is about the small things, about the way you treat someone, the time that you give them, the kabor that you give them in it, you know, when they're feeling you know beat up or down, when everyone else is turning away from them. Who's the person that still te- pays attention? Is the great person. There's a great story with the Baal Shem Tov. Uh, the ba- I think, I believe it was the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov was passing away, uh, it might have been Reb Levi Yitzchak, but they both shared this in common. And they were crying right before they passed. They said, why are you crying? Don't you know what you've done to change the world? He said, of course I, of course I do. And don't you know, you know, that your achievements will, you know, will accompany you to heaven, you go straight to Gan Eden? He says, of course I do. They said, so why are you crying? He says, I'm crying because when I go, who's going to be the rabbi to the thieves? Who's going to be the rabbi of the criminals? Who's going to be the one that's going to take their call? Who's going to be the one that visits them? Who's going to be the one that think that gives them a second chance? Who's going to be the one that gives them respect? You see? It was a, it's a great person that in in hearing a story is capable of hearing the one detail that changes the story. You know, everybody talks about this guy and how much he stole, and no one is talking about the desperate situation he's in uh, with regards to his family. You know, you have people sometimes Uh, you know, they they, uh, embezzle from their company. And what were they embezzling for? For a Ferrari. You know, then you have people, unfortunately, what are they doing? They're taking food from the kitchen, you know, before they go home, even though they're a cleaning lady, because their child at home has nothing to eat. You know, to think that those two things are the same are not the same thing. So if you're a regular guy, what are you thinking about? They stole, they stole, chalas. If you're a great person, what are you hearing? you're hearing about the fact that they have a starving child at home. You know, what do you expect from this person to do? In fact, in such a case, it's fascinating, the halakha is that if someone's in avel, they're not allowed to work. Not only are they not allowed to work, they're really not supposed to get up and prepare food for themselves. And Chamovalia says, he quotes the, the Chazal, that if an avel is required to make food for, his, for himself, it brings a me'ara, it brings a curse on all the people surrounding him in the community that they could let Avel not have the food that he needs, not be taken care of in a time when he's at his lowest. It's fascinating. Because although everyone is thinking, what are they thinking? The guy's home all day. Let him cook for himself. Yeah, but he, that's not what he should be focusing on right now. He's not capable of taking care of even the most basic necessities at this moment of his life. Reuven was able to hear a little bit of a different narrative. Maybe, you know, instead of hearing the fact that that we're all going to be, you know, subservient to Yosef, I could hear in the fact that I'm someone who's worthy of being part of the, the 12 Shivatim. Uh, while everyone else is screaming for blood, I could think to myself, you know, maybe actually this kid is not, doesn't want to bring this on himself. And this is the situation he actually just finds himself in. That ability to, uh, to pierce the veil uh, is really what got, gets Oven back in the game uh, and, uh, and is the redeeming, fe, redeeming fe, uh, you know, uh, element for him. So I, I, uh, I, I want to bless us all with the ability to have supersonic hearing, to hear through the mob, the calls of the mob, or the calls of the community. Just because the community all sends their kid to this one school, it doesn't mean that's best for your child. Just because the community deals with something in a specific way doesn't mean that this is the best way you know, for you to deal with it. Just because the community thinks that this is what's normal doesn't mean that that's what you have to do with your family. Not everything that everybody else does is something that we need to take on board. But Yishma Reuven. And Reuven was able to hear something else, a different narrative, and to stand up to all of them. And it is because of Reuven that Yosef's life is saved. Baruch Amen